Good morning, everybody. Welcome to another edition of Wisdom Awakening. I'm your host, Bishop E.W. Jackson. Uh, look, before I get into the word, we're going to finish up uh, the book of Ephesians this week. Between today and tomorrow, I'll wrap it up. And then I'm going to be on vacation for a while, but you will be still seeing programs because we're going to, we've scheduled to show you some of the past uh, Wisdom Awakenings uh, while I'm away. So you'll still be able to, to see some, some good stuff, I trust, while I'm gone. But uh, so I want to finish up the book of Ephesians. I'm going to get to that here momentarily uh, or in a few minutes, shall we say. <laughs> but, you know, I want to talk a little bit today about this growing movement toward forcing people to be vaccinated. Uh, as you all know, I am not vaccinated. My wife is not vaccinated. We have had the, the disease. We've had coronavirus and we've been tested for the antibodies. So we are immune. In fact, I think it's Dr. Makari who says from St. John Hopkins University, who says we should not be talking about the vaccinated versus the unvaccinated. We should be talking about the immune versus the not immune. And anybody who's had the disease is as immune as anybody who's had the vaccine. Uh, and I would argue is even in better shape than anybody who's had the vaccine. But there is this growing chorus. Have you noticed it? Of people saying we got to force people to have the vaccine. Uh, Steve Jobs' widow, billionaire, has two private jets. She is arguing that anybody who has not been vaccinated should be put on a no-fly list and not allowed to use an airplane while she flies privately. And basically what she says is flying is not a right. So you don't get to get on an airplane if you're not vaccinated. No, flying actually is a right. It is a right in this sense. You cannot deny people the right to travel on an airplane for arbitrary and capricious reasons. You can't say, well, you can fly, but you can't. I, I don't like the way you look. You can fly, but you can't. I, I don't like whatever. Or I, you, you, E.W. Jackson, I don't like your politics, so you can't fly on our airline. I have a constitutional right to travel. And these entities, including big tech, by the way, but these entities are very heavily government regulated and require the imprimatur and the permission of government to do their business. Therefore, they are acting under color of state law and they can't just arbitrarily deny people the right to use their services. Almost no businesses can these days. So, uh, um, so at any rate, I'm hearing some noise in the background. I hope you can't hear it, but, but at any rate, these folks are moving toward a totalitarian system and using the vaccine to advance that cause. So you see Mayor de Blasio, I like to call him Mayor Castro, um, cause he, he loved Fidel Castro. Just thought Fidel Castro was the you know greatest thing walking. And so he is creating basically uh, what, what you could call a vaccine passport for all practical purposes. Okay, so he wants you, you can't go to, into a restaurant, you can't 
uh, do business with anybody if, unless unless you can prove, show them the papers that you are vaccinated. Uh, the, thank God the mayor of Boston, she's the acting mayor, she wasn't elected, but the acting mayor of Boston is saying we're not going to do that here, which is, I, I'm frankly, I'm shocked. As liberal as Boston is, I'm shocked. But, but the leftists are moving in this direction of forcing people to get vaccinated. And my friend William Federer, who's one of America's renowned historians, uh, argues, in fact, I think he has a book. I forget which one it is. You can find out about that at AmericanMinute.com. I think that's his website, AmericanMinute.com. But argues that the, the centrifugal pull of history is toward greater and greater and greater concentrations of power in the hands of fewer and fewer and fewer and fewer people. And that ultimately it ends up in dictatorship. That that's, that's, that the centrifugal pull of history is toward dictatorship. And you can see this in the way people are acting with this now, this Delta variant, you know, and I've called them little petty tyrants, that they're little petty tyrants on the inside. And now COVID has given them an, given them an opportunity to expose who they are and to, frankly, to express who they are. Uh, and what they want is control over people. You know, I said from the very beginning of this pandemic, and when I saw the, the tyrants coming out of the woodworks, and we're going to mandate this and we're going to command you and the governor's edict is law. A government, a government's edict, a governor's, the governor's edict is not law. A mayor's edict is not law. It, is, it might be a regulation. It might be a rule. It's not a mayor's edict is not even an ordinance. It's not law. But suddenly anything that any governor or mayor said was law. You know, I remember de Blasio famously saying any church or synagogue that remains open when they've been told not to do so, we will close them down permanently. Well, he didn't have the authority to do that. But here again, he loves emulating Fidel Castro. And so that's what that's what he's doing right now. I said all that to say, as people wonder, well, well, Bishop, you as a minister, why are you dealing with all this? You know, the Apostle Paul said in Acts 20, 27, I think it's 2027, 20, I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. And to me, what that means is, I'm not shunned to declare to you everything that God has to say about any issue of life. That means I, that doesn't mean you, you're, you're, you're preaching everything in the Bible because I don't think that anybody in a lifetime can preach everything in the Bible. What it means is I'm not leaving anything out intentionally because I think that might offend somebody or I think that might not be popular or I think people may not like that or that might not be politically correct. I'm not going to shun to declare that word of God to you, regardless of how it falls, regardless of what people think. And, you know, the word of God is the most liberating book in the history of mankind. I know you got a bunch of idiots running around talking about the Bible justifies slavery. The Bible does not justify slavery. Any more than the Bible justifies polygamy. It acknowledges that it exists. 
and it tells you the story of people who practice it. But the Bible does not justify polygamy. The Bible does not justify slavery. It deals with the reality of the sinful circumstances in which people live, yes. But what did Jesus say in his inaugural sermon? The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to what? To proclaim liberty to the captives. First official words in the first official sermon that Jesus preached. Now, how do you get out of that? God, just the Bible justifies slavery. And how do you just how do you how do you get that out of the Bible when the, the, the first epic story in the Bible after creation, of course, is the deliverance of the Jews out of slavery in Egypt? The Bible is a book of liberation. And, you know, people have come up with so-called liberation theology, which denies the truth of the word of God. Because really what they're talking about with black liberation theology and liberation theology is communism. That's what it is. It's communism. Uh, and it, 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 it tends toward greater and greater concentrations of power in the hands of fewer and fewer people so that they can control others because that's the natural sinful impulse of people which is why I will continue until I breathe my final breath on this earth to have nothing but admiration and honor for our founding fathers because they understood that better than any single group of people I can point to in human history. And therefore, they gave us a government and a constitution that set forth limited and enumerated powers of the government in order to secure the liberties and rights of the people. That, that is revolutionary. It's staggering. And you've got a bunch of progressives now in our country who want to pull us in the other direction, away from individual liberty and toward more and more government control. And COVID is just a convenient excuse for that. That's all it is. Now, the Bible preaches liberty. I'm looking right now at um, Jeremiah chapter 34, verse 17. And here God rebukes the children of Israel for not liberating people. It says, therefore, thus says the Lord, you have not obeyed me in proclaiming liberty, everyone to his brother and everyone to his neighbor. Now, some people could nitpick and say, well, he was talking about liberty for the Hebrews and he, would, he didn't care about, the Bible doesn't care about making other people slaves. No, Jesus proclaimed liberty to everybody. But here's what you have to understand. It was never God's intention or design for the Hebrews to live among any other people. They were not supposed to be in a mixed multitude. They, they were supposed to drive all of the heathens out of the promised land. They didn't do it but they were supposed to have done it. So the word of God never allows a context in which Jews can have slaves because they're not supposed to have people. They're not supposed to be interacting with people outside of the covenant people of God, the children of Israel. 
Of course, they transgressed this and went on and had Hebrew slaves anyway. And God rebuked him. He said, you have not obeyed me in proclaiming liberty, everyone to his brother and everyone to his neighbor. Now, I really believe that a true preacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ has got to be committed to freedom. Got to be committed to human liberty. If you're not, you've missed it. And this whole thing of trying to force people to put something in their bodies that they don't want to put in their bodies for a whole variety of reasons. They may have a faith commitment against it and they really feel that God has told them, don't do that. They may have a, a, a uh, health reason that they feel it's just not right for them. Maybe they've had bad reactions. Um, they may be pregnant women who don't want to have a vaccine put in their bodies that could affect their babies. They may be people like me. I've had COVID. I'm immune. I've got the antibodies. I am not going to run the risk of supercharging my immune system or introducing something into my body that I don't need because I am already immune having had the disease. And there be uh, maybe other reasons I haven't even thought about. Maybe we say I'm not giving that to my children, the, the, the impact that it has on children, the negative potential consequences to children. I'm not, I'm not allowing my children to have it. all kinds of legitimate reasons, but you got these little petty tyrants running around the country. Anybody who's not vaccinated should not be able to buy groceries. That's what Don Lemon of the Communist News Network said. You shouldn't be able to go into a grocery store. And now you got Steve Jobs with her. You shouldn't be able to fly. Um, this one woman, some celebrities say, I've cut off everybody in my life who won't get vaccinated. You know, folks, I've said some things that had really gotten the left-wing media all stirred up. And one of the things that I've said that's gotten them stirred up is this. I really believe that they would kill people like us if they ever had the power to do so. Now, I don't say that to be mean or nasty or, or, or just to use hyperbole or to, to you know, uh, try to be over the top. I say that because the lesson of history teaches me that. The lesson of history teaches me that people who might never have considered mistreating or, uh, or uh, uh, torturing or killing other human beings when the circumstances in their hands the power to do so immediately reverted or became monsters that nobody would ever have thought they could become. And when I hear the level of hatred and, and venom and accusations spewed against Christians, against conservatives, and I realize, thank God, we live in a nation of laws and we are still a constitutional republic, and they can't just round us up and shoot us. Praise God for that. But what I do mean to say is I hear in that attitude, I hear in that sense of forcing people the same mindset that I believe you could have found in the budding Bolsheviks and the, the soon-to-be Red Guard um, 
and the, the, the people that Mao commissioned in the long march to go through China and kill anybody who didn't seem to be going along with the revolution. I, I see that in their mindset. So, well, Bishop, the, the same is true in conservatives. Not the conservatives I know, because I've made crystal clear as a Christian, I'm not interested in hurting people who don't agree with me, and I couldn't do it. I don't want to kill anybody. I don't want to torture anybody. I don't want to, I, I, you all know, I refuse to, to in any way celebrate or rejoice the death of a person with whom I disagree. I just won't do it because that person's still a human being whom God loves and, and wants to do things for and wants to, through whom God wants to, to, to act. The problem is not that God doesn't love that person, and God doesn't value that person. The problem is they don't acknowledge or value God. They're in rebellion against him. They don't have to answer to him. The Bible says the wrath of God abides on them, but not my wrath. So I don't see a situation, and I could never participate in a, in a situation where I'm, I'm supporting rounding people up or putting people in concentration camps or, or, or torturing people or killing people to, to, to bring about the America that we all know we need. No, 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 no. You cannot glorify God by inglorious means. And that is inglorious and wicked and sinful. But you see, the restraint within me is that the love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts through the Holy Spirit. And I, I have, even though they'll never give me credit for it, but I don't care. God knows me. They don't, and, they, and they, they probably never will unless they get saved too. But God knows that I have a, a true and sincere love in my heart for the homosexual, the transgender, the, 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 the far leftist, the, the, the Marxist, the socialist, the communist, people who I believe are trying to do great disservice to this country, to, trying great, basically to destroy America as we know it. But I have, I have love for them. I don't hate them. I love them. I, I'm not going to stand by and let them do what they're trying to do to our country. I'm going to fight them tooth and nail. But I don't want to kill them. But, you know, you can see here in the left and the things that they say, the rhetoric that they use, like that woman, remember the, the rally? where that woman listed out all these people who are anti-LGBTQ and anti-women's reproductive rights and anti-this and anti-that. Let them die. Oh, oh, I didn't mean let them die. I meant let their ideas die. But that's not what she said, and that's not what she meant. Because she was talking about people and gave a long litany of the people, not the ideas, but the people. If she was talking about ideas, she would have said, those ideas need to die. Those ideas need to be defeated. But she didn't say that. She said, let them die. I would never say anything like that because I don't feel that in my heart. It's not something I want. I mean, I would like for people who really hate this country or citizenship, I would like for them to leave. But I'm not even going to try to force them to do that. But I would love it if they did because I just think we'd be a better country without them. Because then it would be, we're, look, if all the people who want to make this country a some kind of Marxist, socialist, communist nation, if they all left, 
those of us who remain would still disagree on things. <laughs> we wouldn't agree on everything. We would still have debates. But we would begin with the premise, we love our country. We want the best for it. We want to work together in achieving that. We don't hate each other. We're not out to hurt each other, harm each other. We just want to try to do what's best for our country. And let's, let's see, that's where you, you'd probably end up in another situation where you'd have sort of center conservatives, harder right conservatives, softer, more moderate to left-leaning conservatives. I know that's hard to imagine, but, if, but I'm just positing a situation in which all the leftists are gone, okay? And it's just we conservatives left. You, you would still have some division. You would still have some disagreement. But here's what you wouldn't have disagreement on. Do we love our country? Do we believe in that's the greatest place on earth to live? Do we believe in limited government, that we don't want the government trying to control our lives? Do we believe in the Constitution and holding government to the limited and enumerated powers that the Constitution sets forth? Do we, do, we, do we believe in individual liberty? We wouldn't, I tell you what, I, we wouldn't have disagreement on trying to force people to, to take the vaccine. I have no doubt there'd be some who say we got to do a better job of educating people. I have no doubt there'd be some who say, um, you know, we, we need, to, we need to, to, you know, take a hard look at the long-term effects and be studying that on an ongoing basis to determine whether we want to keep so so I'm sure you'd have some debate within even within that sphere but what you wouldn't have is people say we're going to force everybody to take it whether they like it or not because we believe in individual liberty we believe in personal responsibility see there once was a moral and spiritual consensus in our nation now, you all may have heard me refer to this but <laughs> When I was campaigning for lieutenant governor, campaigning out in Southwest Virginia, I love Southwest Virginia, by the way, folks. It's I, I, just, yeah, people just, just the salt of the earth out there. And, and frankly, a very neglected part of Virginia because it's very, very rural and um, it's, it's less well populated, obviously, than a place like Northern Virginia. And they, they rightly feel neglected often that people don't come out there to campaign much. They don't come out there to pay much attention to what's going on. I really loved it. I love being out there. Love being among the people. Some 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 great hillbillies out there. <laughs> you know? Really, folks. I was, I was talking to um, a guy who's a farmer, um, and we were we were sharing our perspectives on our dads and the things our dads. Now here I am, raised in the urban environment outside of Philadelphia. Here he is, raised in the deep rural south of Southwest Virginia. And we got to talking about the things that our dads taught us. And we, we kind of laughed and said, I think our fathers knew each other. Because there was a, a consensus morally about life and about how you properly live your life. Not that there were people, weren't people who wouldn't have disagreed or wouldn't have adhered to it, but there was nevertheless a general moral consensus about the nature of life and how to live well. That's gone. The left has destroyed that. I, I, I read a piece today. Now, I know I'm talking about liberation and talking about individual liberty, but I want to use this just to show how skewed things have become 
and how crazy things have become. Uh, I read an article today. Now, this was in England, but we're doing some of the same things here. Where they arrested and convicted a man, a man of rape, rape of women. Okay. After the man was convicted, he claimed to be a woman. And so they, I'm not joking. I'm not making this up. They put him in the women's prison. And then he raped women in prison. Uh, this is the kind of weird, skewed, bizarre thinking that we are subject to today. 50 years ago, people would have looked at you and said, head for the loony bin, buddy. If you even thought, I mean, the standards that we're, we're told by our government now, the standards by which people are to be judged is their gender identity, which has nothing to do with the way they look, the way they dress, whether they're getting any hormonal treatments, whether they've had any surgery, not that anything, not that any of that stuff can change one's gender, but it's in disregard of all of that. The only thing that matters is what a person says they are on the inside. So if a guy is, is in, in, in khakis uh, and wore overalls and has got on combat boots and has got a butch haircut, and got and, and, and has a, a voice as deep as the deepest bass and has got a be full beard and he says, but I'm a woman. <laughs> that person under the guidelines that many states and cities are adapt adopting, that person is to be given treatment like a woman. That person is to be allowed to use the women's restrooms, use the women's lockers, play on women's sports, and the whole panoply of things that, that being a woman implies. That person is supposed to now be allowed to do that because the only thing that matters is who they are on the inside according to what they express. So if this guy says, I'm a woman, we're all supposed to say, oh, you're a woman. How would you like to be referred to? What, pro what pronoun? <laughs> what pronoun? Call me a they. Okay. Well, they just said. And, and getting back to this issue of liberation. And you all know that in some jurisdictions like California right now and some others, if you fail to adhere to the bizarre, insane, stuff I just expressed to you, you can be fined. And I think in California, you can even be imprisoned if you refuse to, if you misgender someone. That's what they call it, misgendering them, using the wrong pronouns. As a free individual, I can say whatever I want to say. Now that doesn't mean I'm recommending people just say any kind of nasty thing they want to say, but freedom means the ability to say things that others will find nasty. That's what it means. And it means the people who find it nasty then have the freedom to say that's nasty. You should not be saying that. And we can have a debate and a discussion about that. But it's not about the government telling me it's going to find me or put me in jail because I didn't say what it told me to say. 
But that's the direction in which things are moving. And COVID has become, I think, the, the, the real ramrod for driving this totalitarian mindset. And I'll say one other thing, and then we're going to get back to Ephesians. One other thing. And here again, I don't want to, you to just, I'm not jumping off the deep end with this, but I think it is worthy of some thought, right? You can't tell me that this is not in some ways preparing the world for the coming of the Antichrist. Because if in New York, you've got to have the mark of the vaccine in order to buy or sell, in order to go into a restaurant, in order to go into a facility, in order to do the transactions that normal people need to do in life. In order to do that, you've got to have the the mark of the vaccine or something that proves you've had the mark. You've, you've got, you've had the needle stuck in you. Substantively, that's really no different than the mark of the beast where you've got to prove that you've got the mark in order to buy or sell. I tell you, this stuff is unfolding exactly the way the Bible says it will. So, and I don't believe that the vaccine is the mark of the beast, okay? All I'm saying is you see these things unfolding that could not possibly have been anticipated when those scriptures were written 2,000 years ago, and you go, wow. Now I can see how we could be in a situation where you require, you need a certain mark, a chip, uh, an, an implant, uh, a something, in order to be eligible to even walk into a grocery store. The circumstances are ripe for it. And, and the devil is getting his practice in, in implementing it and getting people to go along with it already. Okay. Let's get, to, let's get back to Ephesians, okay? I said, I want to finish Ephesians up. I'm going to finish Ephesians up. I've got to finish Ephesians up. I don't want to be trying to finish it up when I come back from vacation. I want to get this done <coughs> before I go on vacation. All right. Now, we, we just finished up with the helmet of salvation. I spent a lot of time talking about that. Now, let's finish that because that's all. That's, that was only part of that verse, by the way. The 17th verse says of Ephesians chapter 6 says, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Now, the first thing I want you to notice about this, the helmet of salvation is primarily defensive, right? To protect your mind. The breastplate of righteousness is primarily defensive to protect your heart, guard your heart with all diligence out of it flow the forces of life. Um, having your waist girded with truth that, that, that skirt, that gird, if you will, is a defensive weapon to protect you from, from being maimed or crippled, okay, by, by a blow to the lower part of the body, symbolically, meaning from, from having your failure to adhere to the truth make you vulnerable to being crippled in life. Not physically, but spiritually, psychologically, emotionally, financially, in any, of, any kind of way. 
your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, which means you're stable. You're, you're, you're on sound footing. You're moving the way God wants you to move, where he wants you to move, when he wants you to move, okay? And that foundation is protected by the gospel of Jesus Christ because you're moving. See, I always say, uh, in fact, I, I have a concept in, that I teach in one of my series, I forget which one it is, called the destiny bubble. And I say the destiny bubble is where your protection is. The destiny bubble is where you are exactly where God wants you to be doing what God wants you to do. And you are protected because you are in God's destiny bubble for you. And the devil can't burst that bubble. He can't, he can't get you out. Now you can step out and make yourself vulnerable, but if you're in sync with God, you're doing what God wants you to do when God wants you to do it in the way God wants you to do it. In other words, you're in sync with him. You're where he wants you to be doing what he wants you to do, saying what, you, what he wants you to say. In fact, we, we are, I have a prayer in our church. Lord, help me to be in the right place at the right time doing the right thing. That's your destiny bubble. And when you're there, you are invulnerable. Invulnerable. That doesn't mean Satan can't shoot at you, but what, you quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. That doesn't mean he can't hit you. But, but what? You, 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 you spring back from it. You, you go on. You're not, you can't be mortally wounded because you're in that protective covering of Almighty God. Now, all of that armor is defensive that I just talked about. But here, the sword of the Spirit, the sword is an offensive weapon. Sure, you can use it defensively as well. But it is an offensive weapon. It, it is the weapon that is meant to take and destroy your enemy. The Bible says that the word of God is sharp. In fact, it's Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. I'll read it to you. For the word of God is living and powerful. The word of God is living and powerful. That means that the word of God has an intelligence of its own. In fact, I like to say it this way. The word of God has the power within itself to bring to pass what it says. <laughs> Glory to God. <laughs> the word of God has the power within itself to bring to pass what it says. The word of God is living seed, Jesus called it. And that what, what, what is a seed? That seed has the power within itself to bring to pass what that seed represents, doesn't it? You plant that seed and that seed's gonna grow. It's gonna grow into a sycamore tree, it's gonna grow into a myrtle tree, it's gonna grow into an apple tree, it's gonna grow into an oak tree. But that seed has the power within it to become what the seed represents. The Word of God has the power within itself to bring to pass what the Word represents, what the Word says, what the Word promises. It's living. It's alive. The Word of God, the Bible, is unlike any other book because it's the only living book there is. It is a living book. You all know I got saved on the Word of God. I didn't get saved in church. I went to church to confirm my salvation and to make a public acceptance of Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. But I got saved on the Word of God. Reading the Word of God brought me under conviction. Reading the Word of God brought me to salvation because it's alive. 
And when it gets in you, it gives you that light. It, it will take, it will impart that life to you. And look, folks, <clears throat> let me tell you something. When you are listening to the word of God, listening to be expounding on the word of God this way, I am imparting something to you right now. And what I'm imparting to you is the word of God. It is getting down on the inside of you and it is changing and altering your thinking, your emotions, your will. The word of God is working on you all the time. See, it's, it's, it is the word of God that is able. The Bible says we are saved not by corruptible seed, but by incorruptible seed, which is the word of God. It is an incorruptible seed. See, the seed of an apple can be corrupted. Seed of an acorn, a seed of, a, of an oak tree can be corrupted. The seed of an apple tree can be corrupted. The seed of a, you name it, it can be corrupted. But the word of God is incorruptible seed. And it's indestructible seed and it's eternal seed. I can destroy a, an apple seed. You can't destroy the seed of the word of God. And look, when the word of God is spoken to an unsaved person, to an unregenerate person, and, and, and people say, well, well, what if the person doesn't respond to the word? That word is there. And let me tell you something. It will not come back void. It will not come back void. It's going to do one of two things. It's going to either bring you to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Or it's going to condemn you in the last day. It's either going to lead to your salvation or your condemnation. It's up to you. But that word is going to be there to uphold itself forever. Every word an unsaved person who dies without Christ ever heard, every word of God they ever heard is going to be right there. It's going to be brought to the fore to condemn them. Jesus said that he told the children of Israel, he said, I, 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 I don't have to condemn you. The word of Moses condemns you. Because they had that word in them and they were rebelling against it and refusing to adhere to it and refusing to listen to it. So it's living. The word of God is living. And, and if you allow the word, if you nurture the word that is being spoken to you, and by the way, there's power in speaking the word into somebody. It's not Bishop Jackson's system, it's God's system. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. In fact, I want to get ahead of myself, but, but, but remember Paul uh, prayed, um, uh, actually, in fact, right here in this verse, I, I will get ahead of myself, but he prayed and right here in this passage, I should say, that utterance may be given to me, that I may, open my, I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. Notice Paul says, pray for me that the word of God that comes forth from my mouth will make known the mystery of the gospel. And he's not just talking about up here, he's talking about in here. That in other words, it will reveal itself to the people who hear it. 
see, look. This, what we're engaged in right now at this very moment is a supernatural activity, not a natural activity. I'm not lecturing you. I'm illuminating you. Okay? I'm not informing you. I'm imparting to you. Now, information is certainly a part of this, but it's not information that changes people. It's revelation. You know, part of our mission as a church is to um, help people find and fulfill their God-given calling and destiny through faith in Jesus Christ and revelation knowledge of the word of God. Okay, that's part of saving souls, saving families, saving the nation. But revelation knowledge is knowledge, not just something you have in your head. It's something that is illuminated in your heart. And when you preach the word of God and teach the word of God under the anointing of God, it has a supernatural impact on people. It's not me. In fact, at the end of, uh, of, of the book of Ephesians, Ephesians, at the end of the book of Mark, chapter 16, where you read that passage which says, and they went forth um, preaching the word of God. And then it says, I'm not going to take time because I'm down to, to the end of our, our time here. But it says, the Lord working with them and confirming the word. You go back and read that last, last couple of verses of Mark. The Lord working with them and confirming the word. Well, the word them is not in the text. What the actual Greek text says, the Lord working with and confirming the word. God was working with the word. If they weren't on the word, he wasn't, he wasn't working with them. I mean, not in the sense of helping people. It's, it was the word that they were proclaiming that God was working with to bring about the transformation of people's lives. So the word is living and it's powerful. Okay, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, the word is living and powerful. You take that sword and you inject it into any circumstance of life. Did you hear what I just said? You take that sword and you inject it into any circumstance of life. That's your vaccine. That's the real one. That's the one that's not only good in time, but good in eternity. Well, see, what, what, what issues are you facing right now? What problems are you facing right now, personally or with regard to the country? Take the word of God and apply it. Take the promises of God and stand on them. You know, I, I'll tell you, a word that I stand on for our country is out of Psalm, uh, the second Psalm, which says, Ask of me and I will give you nations as your inheritance and the ends of the earth as your possession. And I've said, well, Lord, if you're willing to give us nations, I'm asking you right now for just one nation, the United States of America. And I'm, you, you said you would give it to us. I'm asking you, give me America as a nation whose God is the Lord. Now, you understand what I'm getting at there. I don't mean, you know, I want to 
own America like you own a piece of property. I mean, I want my country to be a godly nation. And so I stand on that word for the future of America because God promised. He said, ask of me and I will give you nations for your inheritance. Lord, I want the United States of America for my inheritance as a free, prosperous, constitutional republic that is rooted and grounded and founded on the word of God and the Judeo-Christian principles therefrom. See, I've taken that, I'm taking that word and I'm injecting it into the situation and standing on it. So I'm not just, I'm not just standing on my ideas and my musings about, I'm standing on God's word. And saints, if I can give you anything in this uh, uh, final, uh, as in this final moment, it's that the word of God is the key to success in everything. It is the key to success in everything. Get on the word and stay on it and watch it produce in your life. Just like as surely as that apple seed, if it's a good seed, you plant it in good ground, you're going to get an apple tree. <laughs> I mean, it's, there's no question about it. You take that word and you plant it in the circumstance. You plant it in the situation and you're going to get what that word promises. There's just no question about it because it is living and powerful. So you take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, and you inject it. You thrust it into the circumstances of life and watch it produce. And watch the devil run and watch circumstances change and watch blessings come. God bless you. That's going to do it for today. I love you. Pray for me. And remember, we cannot be defeated if we will not quit because we are on God's side.